this is the last day of our capital campaign. So it's kind of an exciting day. I don't know if any of the rest of you are excited here. And not too long, we're going to figure out if we have enough money to go ahead with this project. And we'll still have to talk to a banker tomorrow and figure out some of the details of it. But, but today, we're going to collect pledge cards. And I'll walk you through that uh, at the end of my sermon here. But uh, for those of you that don't know, we're raising money to, per- to purchase and remodel the Special Events Center, 207 West Lincoln. And I, I've said it the last two weeks, I'll just say it again. My, my vision for this building is that uh, the, the Bible talks about the church being a pillar and the truth, uh, excuse me, a pillar and foundation of the truth. And then as we think of the physical location of that building in the center of the city, and as we think about what God would want to do through us, not just talking bricks and mortar, but talking about God's plans, is with that place as a ministry center, thinking of the doors that God could open, I, the phrase in my mind is a pillar of truth in the center of the city. Uh, and it's an exciting thing for me to pursue, and we've been uh, talking a lot about it over the last, especially over the last month. And, and today we'll see what God has raised up. We've been talking about giving for three weeks now. And this will be the, the conclusion to the series on giving. And just a couple quick reminders that I, I've said these each of the last two weeks. I want to say them again. Your giving will be private. Th- there will be two sets of eyes that have to see the pledge cards just for uh, math purposes and in talking to the bank. Um, I'm not one of those sets of eyes, so I won't be seeing it. But your, your giving is between you and God. And also your giving will be acceptable according to 2 Corinthians 8 if it's given willingly and it's according to what you have, not what you don't have. The, the, the widow who gave two small coins worth maybe two dollars, that Jesus said that she gave more than anybody else. So it's not the amount of our gifts that, that God is so concerned about. The idea is that we give by faith, and if it's given willingly, simply giving from what God supplies, then the gift is acceptable in his eyes. So... Um, and I see. I should just stop myself right now too, because I see that we have the Stoltenbergs here too, and we have Baby Ayla in here. We do. Okay. So I want to say a special welcome now to Baby Ayla, and a congratulations to Brianna as well. So uh, we, we kind of got a human baby thing going on in this row here. So uh, <laughs> that's good though. Keep them separated until they're about age 15 or you know, 20 or whatever. So. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about giving, and we're talking about giving by faith, giving from what God supplies, giving generously and cheerfully. But sometimes we know that giving can feel like we give something away and get nothing in return. From a worldly point of view, it can feel like, oh, I'm giving my hard-earned money, and, and what do I get to show for it? Are there any spiritual blessings that come as we give by faith? Well, my sermon today is entitled Giving and Receiving because I believe that there are benefits, blessings that we can receive as we give by faith. So we're going to walk through a passage that talks about three of those spiritual blessings. It's a passage from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Before we get to those blessings, though, we're going to talk about a challenging heart principle first because the blessings are for those who pursue God by faith. So our passage today is Matthew 6, 19 through 34, and I want to read it now. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how mu- will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So like I said, before we get to those three blessings that talks about here, I want to talk about the challenging heart principle first, and here it is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's verse 21. That's what Jesus said. Our checkbook, or our bank statements, can reveal a lot about where our hearts are. The idea is that you can learn a lot about a person by looking at how they spend their money. We tend to spend our money on the things that we deem are important to our hearts. So what does your spending say about your heart? Jesus tells us in verse 19 not to store up treasures on earth. He says instead, in verse 20, we should be storing up treasures in heaven. And these are commands, by the way. These are not just you know, decent ideas from Jesus. This is Jesus saying, don't do this. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store them up instead in heaven. To store up treasures on earth is to spend our money simply on the things that we want. And there is such a strong pull to that in our world today. But to store up treasures in heaven is to spend our money on the things that have deeper spiritual purposes. And Jesus is saying, invest your money there. The idea is that we are not to pursue meaningless things. Jesus reminds us that earthly treasure is temporary. He says, look at it. Moths can eat it up, or rust could destroy it, or thieves could steal it. And we know that even if none of those things happen, the, the, the saying is true, you can't take it with you when you go. So Jesus is saying, why would you spend your life just trying to get bigger, bigger, and bigger piles of stuff or simply trying to get your bank account higher. Saying, don't do that. Instead, we should be storing up treasure in heaven where moth will not destroy, rust will not destroy, and thieves will not steal. There is a permanence about the treasures that we can store up in heaven. And Jesus says that we should be seeking those. But there's something even more than just the permanence of the one treasure compared to the earthly treasure. Another important thing that we need to realize here is that our hearts are connected to our treasure. Our hearts are connected to our treasure. Hold on to that thought for a moment, because we're going to talk about that later. But, But for right now, just to say that 
We might not think of it that way, but the, the things that we treasure, our heart goes with them. Okay, then Jesus goes on, and it might look like he's changing subjects in verses 22 and 23. He starts talking about our eyes, saying that if our eyes are good, then our bodies will be full of light, but if our eyes are bad, then our bodies will be full of darkness. And, and I believe that he's not changing subjects, just because the, the way that the Sermon on the Mount goes, Jesus tells you when he's changing subjects, and he's not changing subjects here. And you can see that by the fact that both before and after these verses, he's talking about money. So verses 22 to 23, then, are talking about money as well. And the point of these verses, these two verses, is that what we set our eyes on impacts what goes on in our souls. Focusing on money and earthly treasure, then, isn't just a surface thing. We might think it is. We might think, oh, I'm just, I'm just buying that stuff, but that stuff doesn't define who I am. That's not, you know, that, that's, those are just things and what's important is going on in my soul. But what Jesus is saying is actually, you know what? Your heart goes along with it. And, and your eyes, the, what you set your eyes on, will actually either give light to your body or steal light from your body. And pursuing the wrong things then can actually have a negative dimming effect on our souls, like throwing a, a wet blanket on our souls. Pursuing earthly treasure actually has that, that negative stealing light effect on us. Craig Blomberg says, the way people handle their finances affects every other part of their lives. Jesus' warning here is that we make sure we focus on the right things. Not on earthly treasure, but on heavenly treasure. And then Jesus says it bluntly in verse 24, and I'll reread that verse. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word for master here in 24 is the same word for Lord. It's just the plural form of that word. A master or a Lord is one who's in control of your life, and you can't have two of them. Let me use an illustration here. Uh, when I was seven years old, I picked the New York Yankees as my favorite baseball team. I, I know, I know. You can, you can throw tomatoes at me later. But don't worry. It's, it's, the good news is, is I've, I've changed. It was only about a 23-year experiment that I had with the New York Yankees. And uh, I realized somewhere along the, in, the, in the 2000s when they started buying the best player every year, like year after year after year, they just buy the best player. And I started thinking... I don't like these guys. Why am I cheering for these people? I, I, don't, I don't care for them. And I started to realize that they were ruining baseball. And I said, okay, it's fine. I, I've kind of you know, started to like the Twins more and more. So the, I said, I'm just going to make the switch to the Twins. And I did that. You know, sometime about five years ago, I made the official switch to the Twins as my favorite team. Yeah, you can cheer now. <laughs> um, but I said to myself as I was changing teams, I said, okay, well, the Twins will be my favorite team, but the Yankees will be my second favorite team. And some people came up to me and said, no, you, you can't have the Yankees as your second favorite team. They're either your favorite team or your least favorite team. They can't be your second favorite team. And I said, no, no, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And, and it just didn't work. It's just, you know, I, I couldn't go for the Twins and go for the archenemy of baseball at the same time. It's like... And, and it's in that sense, you know, it's either you, you like the Yankees or you don't. And I use that just as an illustration to say that we can't pretend to serve both God and money. Serving one will mean that we don't serve the other. Leon Morris says, to belong wholly to one owner means that all other owners are ruled out. 
Serving money will lead us to do things that God doesn't want us to do. And perhaps even more importantly, serving money will lead us to neglect things that God does want us to do. If we have our eyes set on earthly treasure, think of all the things that we'll miss that God wants us to do. Money has a way of showing who our master is. So we're talking about money here in the Sermon on the Mount, but actually we're talking about something much deeper. We're talking about lordship. We're talking about following God. When you, think, when you put this in its context then, picture it. Jesus was walking around and there were all these people that started following him and it says he sat down on the mountain and started to teach them. And what did he teach them? He taught them how to follow God. For Matthew 5 through 7, for those three chapters, he taught the people how to follow God. So when he gets to money then, right in the middle of chapter 6, it's not like he's saying, okay, I've been talking about following God, but now just a quick financial side note. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, this is part of your discipleship. Part of following God has to do with the way that you view money. The way that you spend your money. It will show who your master is. So what we're actually talking about here is not just money. We're talking about discipleship. I often talk here about knowing Jesus as Lord. If Jesus is Lord, it means that he is in control of our lives, that we are to give up control, that we are to stop pretending that we can run our own lives, and we give that control to Jesus. And I hope that you've all done that. What that means then for me, as I've given my life to Jesus, what it means is that he has full control over my money. Uh, there's a, a funny illustration, uh, well, maybe it's not funny, but in, in this context, but I find it funny. When soldiers were baptized back in the, in the Roman days, uh, they would say that they would come to know the Lord, but they were soldiers and they were fighting. And what they would do is they would grab their sword as they were being baptized and they would hold it above the water as if to say that, you know, my body belongs to God, but my sword belongs to me. And, and they were saying, I don't baptize my sword. And I heard some guys say that some Christians do that with their wallet. They'll say, okay, I give my life to God, but I'm holding my wallet up above the water here, and that still belongs to me. It doesn't work that way. Everything about us belongs to God, including our money. So what do we treasure? Are we pursuing earthly things, possessions, bigger, faster, newer, more? Or are we pursuing heavenly treasure? Money can reveal where our hearts are at. Now, we could look at this negatively and say, oh, well, I guess then the way that I've been spending my money shows that there's something not right in my walk with God. And maybe that's where you're at today and you need to talk to God about that. Or it could be as we do this test, we find out, hi, I guess the way it looks then is that my money has been going to God's purposes. And that's a sign that I'm following God. But that's the heart principle there, is that our money isn't just money. Our money actually has a way of showing where our hearts are at. So that's a challenging principle. But if we get this right, this principle about our hearts and our treasures, if we get it right, there are blessings for us. And look at verse 33. And and many of you could probably quote this from your churches growing up. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. If instead of seeking earthly treasure, we seek God's kingdom then there are spiritual blessings for us. And we're talking about discipleship and lordship here. We're talking about a seeking, a submitting to God's will. 
we're talking about seeking God's kingdom. And that, that phrase used to confuse me, but somebody described it simply to me, and it's made sense ever since then, that God's kingdom is simply the place where God is rightly recognized as king. And if we seek God as king, we're, we're seeking his kingdom. We're talking about seeking God's righteousness, which means that we put our faith in Jesus, and then by faith we seek to honor God by doing what's right. And it says that we're to seek God's kingdom first. Now that doesn't mean that we kind of pay lip service first and then we move on to our things. It means that always, as a first importance, we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. It means we look to God's kingdom, seeking right now, today, to honor him by doing what's right, but then we also look ahead to the future and trust that God has a wonderful place for us. It means, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that submitting of our lives to God that he can have control. So verse 33 is a general principle whereby our lives are given fully to God and he's in control. And as we do that, there are spiritual blessings for us. And now I want to show you three of these spiritual blessings that come as we walk by faith and as we even give by faith. Blessing number one, if we seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, we can have treasures in heaven. Verse 20 tells us that there are treasures in heaven. That that we can store them up there. That there is a real existence of treasures in heaven. Now, if we can do that, if we can store up treasures in heaven, I want to. I don't know exactly what those treasures are. You know, I I could speculate about what they might be. But whatever they are, I want them. And if there's something that I can be doing right now to store up treasures in heaven, I want to be about that. In verse 19, the way it talks about treasure, it it talks about the kind of treasures that people pursue on earth and enjoy. And Jesus says, don't seek those treasures, seek a different treasure. But the fact that there is a different kind of treasure that he compares with this other treasure makes me think that it's something that we can enjoy, and perhaps even for all eternity. And if we can do that, I want in on that. (coughs) Jesus is telling us to contemplate heaven. As we think about our lives and what we spend our money on, we could think about building a bigger pile of stuff for us. But instead, Jesus says, look to heaven and build up treasure there. A more lasting treasure that we should invest in. And I use that word invest intentionally because we're talking about investing here. We're actually talking about investing our money. Now, usually when we think about investing our money, we think about a 401k or the stock market or a retirement account. And I think those things are are good things. I think that we should be thinking and planning and saving in those ways. But I also think that as part of our financial portfolio, we should be thinking about investing spiritually in treasures in heaven. We should be thinking about letting God have access to our money so that he can do with it what he wants. And as we do that, we realize it's an investment. We we don't just simply give it away. We do give it away, but we trust that God gives us something in return. That's why it's giving by faith. We should be thinking about heaven as we spend our money. And just a little personal note here. It's so good to think about heaven. I've been thinking about heaven more in the last two or three years And it's been good for me. To think about all the choices that I make here on earth and to think about what sort of 
impact or ramification it will have in heaven, it's, it's been causing me just to think more and more about g- what God would have me do here. And it's been good for my soul to contemplate heaven. So as we give, we should be thinking about heaven. We should be thinking about the lasting impact that we can have with our money instead of just building up stuff that rust is going to destroy or that somebody else is just going to get later anyways. So what are you investing your money in? You can invest it in something that will last forever. Blessing number two here. If we seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, we can be free from worry. Yes, you heard me right. We can be free from worry. Verses 25 to 34 are bookended with the command, do not worry. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. It's so easy for us to say, oh, well, there's just some things that I need to be aware of and concerned of right now. And it's so easy for us to take those things and let it lead right into worry. But here the command is not to worry. And I've said before, I think this is one of the most difficult commands in the whole New Testament. But we don't need to worry. Why? Because God is in control. In fact, worry is unproductive. Jesus says it almost humorously in verse 27. He says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We think, oh, there's these things, you know, I just need to make sure I'm taking care of them. And, and we think that we're actually, you know, doing something constructive and positive. But Jesus says, you can't even add an hour to your life. And we know now from the advances in our medical field that actually worry, instead of adding an hour to your life, would actually take hours and days and maybe even years off of your life through the negative kind of stress that comes along with it. And, and it's perhaps even more humorous if you look at it, that this verse could be translated as, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? A cubit is a foot and a half. Who of us in here, thinking of adults, could add a foot and a half to our height by worrying? I think Jesus is saying it's ridiculous. Your worries, you can't, you can't do anything productive with it. So don't do it. Don't worry following the Lord is to be our first concern and as we follow the Lord anxiety melts away as we trust him to take care of everything worry just goes by the wayside so we follow the Lord as we work we don't assume that we provide for ourselves we trust that God provides for us and as we do that worry has no place in our lives it changes the way we view wealth too because we don't need to work then to get a bigger pile of stuff because it's not our pile of stuff that takes care of us anyways. It's God who does that. We work to honor God to follow him. And in that light, our our jobs actually become worship. And then worry melts away. I was talking about these verses with a pastor friend of mine and he said, these verses changed my life. He said, Eric, you know how I used to be a worrier, and, and I, I did. And I asked him if I could tell the story, and he said I could. But um, I, this is a guy I went to seminary with, and we were at his house one day, and he had such a bad anxiety attack that he had to go into the emergency room. And, and it wasn't the first time he'd had something like that. And he just, he was a worrisome sort of a guy. And then he said, a couple of years ago, I was reading this passage, and it says, do not worry. And he said, I realized then, I was just simply breaking a command of God. You know, it it feels to us like we're just taking care of things. Like, oh, there's just a lot of stuff on my plate right now and I need to be aware of those things. And so it's okay for me to worry. That's what we say to ourselves. But the command is do not worry. And my friend said, as he, as he read this, he said, I just realized 
I was breaking a command of God. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you instead. And he said it changed his life. He went from being a worrisome person to a person who doesn't worry. And that's the power of God in our lives, if we'll take him at his word. There are spiritual blessings that we can have. We can live lives free of worry if we seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And that means financial peace, too. It doesn't necessarily mean financial prosperity, but it means that in regard to our money, we can trust God to take care of things. And we don't have to worry. What a blessing that is. And this leads right into the third blessing. If we seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, God will take care of us. Not only can we be free from worry, but we can trust that God will take care of all of our needs. Look at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things refers to food and drink and clothes, the things that God knows that we need. And in fact, God knows better than we do what we need, so we don't even need to spend time worrying about what we need. Because God knows we need it. To remind us of how God takes care of things, Jesus asks us to consider the birds. He says, look at them. They don't reap or sow or store in barns. But God provides for them. And you think about that. You know, birds need things to survive. They need material. They need twigs and leaves to make their nests. But they don't provide those things. Those things are provided for them. They need food to eat. They need worms and whatever else they eat. They don't provide those things. God just gives them to them. And God says, look, if I take care of the birds, am I not going to take care of you? And then he says, consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin. Look at the grass, too. He says, Solomon, in all of his splendor, all the wealth that King Solomon had, he said, Solomon wasn't even dressed like those. If that's how God takes care of the, the lilies and the grass, will he not much more take care of us? God is a God who takes care of our needs. And even specifically as we think about giving money, and even as we're talking about giving sacrificially in this building campaign, we can trust that God will take care of our needs. The Apostle Paul was talking in Philippians 4 to some people. He was asking them for money, and he said, now wait a second, I'm not just asking you for money so that I can have something. He said, I'm asking in part so that you can have something credited to your account. As you give, I want you to live in the blessings that come from walking by faith. And then he said in 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. As they give, their needs are met according to God's riches. Now from whose storehouse would you rather have your needs met? God's or your own? The way we get this blessing of being provided for by God is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And as we trust him in that, as we walk by faith in that, he gives us what we need. Now that means, seeking God's kingdom, that God has access to everything in our lives, including our money. It's not then that we should think that we'll get everything we want because the passage specifically talks about getting what we need. And it's not that we stop working. It's that we trust God as we work. That's the view the Apostle Paul took. He, he gave his whole life to God and he trusted God to take care of him. And you look at what happened for him. There were times where he lacked things that he wanted. Yet he learned that wonderful lesson of contentment that I wish that we could all learn. That lesson of saying, I have enough because I have God and I trust him to take care of me. 
That's who our God is. He's a God who takes care of our needs. And think of that from the perspective of the gospel message. We're called to give our lives to God, our whole lives, hold, holding nothing back. And, and if we do that, if by faith we give our lives to Jesus Christ, recognizing that we need his forgiveness of our sins, recognizing that we're to allow him his rightful place as Lord and King in our lives, if we give our whole lives to him, look at what God gives us. Complete forgiveness of sins, a relationship with him, and eternal life. That's the picture then. I give everything to God, and in return, God gives me new life. That's the principle I want you to understand today. If by faith we give control of everything to God, including our money, we will store up treasures in heaven, we can be free from worry, and we can know that God will take care of us. I want to repeat that here. If by faith we give control of everything to God, including our money, we will store up treasures in heaven, we can be free from worry, and we can trust that God will take care of us. Those are some awesome blessings. And those are not blessings for people who hoard their money or store up piles of treasure for themselves. Those are for people who give their money away by faith. Who live their whole lives by faith. Here's my conclusion. In general, spiritual blessings come from walking rightly with God. Whether we're talking about money or anything else, in general, spiritual blessings come from walking rightly with God. If we walk by God with faith, He leads us into the new life that He wants us to live. Now, if we apply that to money, what that means then is, as we give by faith, God blesses us with spiritual blessings. So even as we look at giving to this building project like the one we're doing, we can have joy in our hearts as we join with God in what he's doing. And, and that's the way I like to think about this project, just to think we've been looking at this for so long, seeking God's will for so long, that it looks to me that it's, this is what God would have us do. And as I think about that, I just think, okay, God, I want on board. If you are moving, if you're doing something here, I want to be part of it. And here, take my money if you need to. If we want these spiritual blessings that we're talking about today, we need to break the pattern of selfishness that is so easily ingrained in us just from living in this world. Think of how often, even today, the world will tell you to spend your money on what you want. If you go home and watch a football game today, watch the commercials and, and see what the commercials tell you about how you should spend your money. We need to break this pattern. Giving by faith can help us break that pattern because it teaches us to focus on God and to contemplate heaven, to be part of what he's doing. It strengthens our faith muscle and teaches us to trust God to take care of us. It can be so easy to trust in our stack of money to take care of us. And I'm not saying it's wrong to store up some money to, or to save some money. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. But what I am saying is that we need to trust God with everything. It's not like we say, oh, I trust God, you know, with my daily bread, but when it comes to my retirement, I trust in my Roth IRA. That's not what we say. We trust God with everything. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a good-paying job either, because some of the most faithful, godly people I've known over the years have been rich people who've been very generous with their money. We must not trust in riches. We trust in God. And as we trust in Him, 
seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, we can live in those spiritual blessings. And that's the life I want for all of us. As we do that, we don't think about what we have to give away. We think about what we can give away. So today is pledge card day. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have you hand in your pledge cards. Um, I do have some extra ones here. If, if anybody needs one, uh, I think George has some as well. And is George here now? Right there, okay. I've asked George if he would just kind of stand back in that corner by the tables there. Just in case you have any questions about how to fill out your pledge card before you hand it in, you can talk to George about that. Uh, and there's one note that I wanted to make. I, I hope that this was clear on your pledge cards, but there's that space there for um, a one-time gift, and then there's also this total gift. Your one-time gift is to be included in that total gift. So, for example, if your one-time gift is $1,000, and then you're pledging to $2,000 over the next three years, your total would be $3,000. So you're to write $1,000 as a one-time gift, and then $3,000 as a total. So I, if anybody needs to change that on theirs, um, Todd's going to be the one who's collecting them. But um, Because our goal, the, the reason that we're having both one time and total is because our goal for the project is $230,000 pledged over three years. Of that $230,000, the bank has asked that we get 100000 of that up front. So what we're really looking for is 100000 now plus 130000 pledged over the next three years. So I just, I just hope that's clear to everybody. Um, what we're going to do now is, uh, I haven't asked Tom this, but Tom, would you mind just grabbing an offering basket and, and walking around? And, um, and then Todd is going to tabulate them right back there at our sound booth. We've actually got three songs to sing after our sermon today, so we're going to give Todd some time to do some math. Um, but if you, would, if you would hand these things in, and Todd, Tom, just one second. We can wait till after I'm done praying. Um, we'll do that in a moment here. But what we're going to do is we're going to have an extended time of worship now, just like in 1 Chronicles 29. Do you remember that? I preached on that two weeks ago, where King David and all the Israelite leaders gave money for the building project, and then they broke out in a worship service, and, and David said, Bless the Lord. And that's the next song that we're going to sing. Our next song starts off saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're going to praise Him, because even as we give, as we give our hard-earned money away, we're going we're to worship God. Having said that, what we're going to give now, and, and by the way, too, your pledge cards, the, the one-time gift that you say you're going to give, there, you should also give that one-time gift right now if you have it with you. So would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for who you are and that you are the, the God of rich blessings. God, you, as we think about what you've given to us in salvation through Jesus Christ, we praise you. As we think about the place that you're preparing for heaven and us, we praise you as we think about the spiritual blessings that we can live in right now as we walk by faith, we praise you. And as we think about the treasures in heaven that we can store up, we praise you. Father, help us to trust in you, to walk by faith, to give by faith. And God, with this building project, even right now as we give, we just say one more time, it's your yes or no, God. We simply want to follow you. But we pray that you would bless these gifts as they're given now. May we be faithful with them. May we use them the way that you want us to. And may you do exactly what you want to do in and through us, God. And may it be for your glory. And may we walk in the blessings as we walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>